0: Hello and welcome back to Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce, after a bit of a break over Easter. The country seems strangely calmer now. The third COVID wave is yet to arrive. Vaccinations, we are told, are on the way. And the political threats to our stability from Ace Magashula and the radical economic transformation gang seem to have gone a bit limp. One blip on this even horizon has been research sponsored by uh, the liquor company Distell. Suggesting that the alcohol bans have ac- that have accompanied our long and destructive lockdowns have been largely unnecessary, but to still pay for independent research and independent review to prove it. I think this independence is perfectly plausible, by the way. Nobody is going to lay down a lifelong reputation for one piece of work. But that obvious fact has not stopped the local anti-alcohol lobby led by a medical research council, alcohol researcher Charles Perry, angrily panning it in the Sunday Times. Fortunately, the authors of the report and the reviewer are big enough to deal with the insults Perry held at them. The report, quote, lacked methodological detail, he said. Well, we'll see about that in a minute or two. Before introducing my guest today, I also communicated with the reviewer, Professor Graham Barr, Emeritus Professor in Statistical Science at UCT. Barr taught statistics at UCT for 40 years until 2018 published 80 peer-reviewed articles himself and peer-reviewed hundreds of other articles for research journals. I asked him how generally he would rate the research he reviewed. He replied, quote, I would rate it as good, especially given the data constraints. The analysis was constrained by poorish data. The statistical analysis was thorough and was strongly supportive that mobility constraint issues, i.e. curfews, we're a more important factor in reducing trauma admissions than alcohol bans. This is what we're going to talk about today. My guests are Ian McGorian of Silver Fox Consulting, a data analyst, and Sabani Mgadi, chairperson of the SA Liquor Brand Owners Association, Salva. Welcome, gentlemen. I hope you will not mind me bouncing between the two of you as we go. And Sibani Mgadi, let's start with you and ask why this research, which seems to prove such a self-evident point, needed to be done or was necessary in the first place?
1: Thank you very much for the opportunity, Bruce. At the, um, as SALPA, we represent generally the spirits and wine producers and Distel, the company that funded the research, is one of our most significant members in our approach has been to try and uh, get clarity in terms of how government wants to respond to the challenge of COVID-19 and we have seen uh, viewed it as uh, a challenge facing South Africa and facing the world and therefore as responsible businesses we need to participate actively in addressing it that's why our initial approach was much more focused on what our contribution could be including provision of pure alcohol free of charge for production of sanitizers but we have come to a stage where we realize that there isn't a clear coherent uh, scientific basis for the decisions that have been taken around alcohol restrictions in particular. South Africa stands out as one country that, where all of alcohol channels have been banned over an extended period of time and I think the worst case was a conversation leading up to the Easter uh, weekend where then there was consideration of further restrictions of alcohol sales while the size of gatherings were also being increased almost doubled from 100 indoors to 250. So in that context we feel that uh, many of the decisions at least relating to to alcohol sector have not been based on any scientific ground and we would like to engage in much more objective evidence-based conversation around uh, alcohol policy.
0: Ian McGorry, and Charles Perry says you haven't used raw data. Is raw data available?
2: I think, I think it's an interesting
0: observation.
2: Um, we had to impute some of the data on hospital admission, and fortunately there have been numerous occasions where this data has been presented in various formats, typically in a graphical format um but it is it is very simple to translate from a graph into the underlying data using uh, techniques that are available um generally we are very confident that our imputation of the hospital admissions is very accurate i think that a more important question would be why would the mrc want to keep this data embargoed or censored surely we should be asking, hang on, if we're making decisions about a multi-billion rand industry and hundreds of thousands of people's livelihoods, surely transparency should be paramount in this respect. And it, it, it seems to me to be a very odd stance to take to say, is the data correct? 99% of the data is publicly available. The MRC chooses not to release last hospital admission data. Why do you think that is? I, I wouldn't like to conjecture, but I think it has been a feature of the lockdown that the government in itself has been very reticent to give forthright and clear, transparent reasons for the regulations that they put in place. Not confined to just the alcohol ban, this is about the whole raft of regulations.
0: I mean, you're quite right. I mean, clarity has been missing throughout this uh, um, uh, crisis and continues to be missing in the case of vaccinations, when they will arrive and who will get them and, and, and when. Has the government been banning alcohol sales? And maybe you have a number for how much damage this has done to the industry, based purely on gut feeling. Yes, Bruce, that will
1: be our understanding that the there were many things that informed the decisions. I think the first part was more driven by uh, political leaders in the security cluster, the, the first band, and the desire then to contain people within within their homes. Uh, we have made efforts uh, ourselves, as SALPA and various other associations, to have access to information that Ian is uh, talking about—hospital occupancy and various other elements that were have been put forward as reasons for for the bans. Uh, that has not come through. We have uh, latest is the request through public access to information. Uh, which we lodged in the run-up to the Easter weekend. We haven't received any uh, response to that regard. So yes, it's it's not been uh, really substantiated and there's been lack of transparency as to what informs those decisions, including the advisory notes from the um, Ministerial Advisory Council. We have had at least 19 weeks Of no sales as a result of the overall ban for both retail and on consumption channels. Uh, From our economic uh, estimation, we anticipate that we have lost something like 35 billion in lost uh, sales revenue. On the government side, because substantial amount of money in the alcohol trade goes directly to government through excise tax, government has lost around about nine billion. On excise tax on alcoholic beverages on its own, and if you overlay that with the overall value chain of the industry and other taxes that are added.
0: And Sibani, I, I read your your article yesterday in the City Press, and I have to say I thought you were being a little too gentle with uh, with the government that's done this to your industry. You know, you 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 you, you make the point and. Um, the industry is trying to make the point with this research that it is uh, hopefully the beginning of a debate. But the people you are facing, they don't want to debate you. They don't believe you. You know, it's not going to happen. They want to shut you down. And their minds are made up, you know. Shouldn't you be, shouldn't you be using this research rather to sue the pants off the government than try to talk to it? They're treating you as a complete outsider. Is there any evidence since this research has emerged that they might actually want to see you?
1: Yeah, it's been a very challenging period. Uh, it's a lot of balancing uh, activity that we, will, we we have to play as the industry uh, because we, we move from the acceptance that there is some level of alcohol misuse, in which case we would like to work with government to address that element. And we have even committed uh, resources uh, we are looking at a billion rand over five years that we would like to invest in addressing, particularly the area around drinking and driving, uh, underage drinking and heavy episodic drinking over weekends, uh, and and any other uh, factor that we, it can be considered within that context. So, it's uh, we have been uh, under these circumstances before. If you recall, uh, at the beginning of uh, 2010 to t- about 2012. We have had many challenges arising from that same anti-alcohol lobby that you are referring to. Uh, We were a couple of weeks away from being banned altogether from an advertising perspective, from the bill that was coming through from the then Minister of Health, uh, Dr. Motualetti. We have had taxes, uh, excise tax being adjusted at 20% for spirits for 2012. And I think if you look at all of those together, we would like to kind of shape a uh, framework where there is degree of stability and uh, predictability around alcohol policy. Because for us, it's not only about the bans as they are happening now under the disaster act, but it's also about what the Treasury may decide on on excise taxation next year and the year after as well as our general um, the license to trade. This includes issuing of, of uh, trading licenses, which is done by Department of Trade and Industry, and various other elements which are also run even at the provincial level. That's the kind of overall uh, public policy risk that the industry is facing, and therefore we will need to look at all of it and, and kind of balance uh, various factors to make sure that there is some
0: stability. South African breweries is suing the government for loss of revenue I presume um, Do you support that approach? Yeah
1: There, there are at least two uh, court cases uh, Currently yes it's that one from uh, South African breweries and then we have the second one from Vinpro the one producers in, in yes. the Western Cape They they come into the issue from different perspectives uh, yes it's an economic loss on the side of SAB uh, SAB, and on the side of VINPRO, which is, I think it's something that we have argued uh, publicly as well, that there need to be localized consideration of this risk-adjusted strategy. So if Western Cape is foreseeing a rise in infection or hospital pressure or any other thing, those interventions need to be limited, say, to the Cape Metro or any other affected area it should not be a blanket thing that will include, say, a Kimberley. And government has implemented this before with regard to Nelson Mandela, Pei, and uh, Sarah Batman in 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 the Eastern Cape. And we collaborated with the provincial government in the Eastern Cape, and we began to see that the, the case is declining because of a very focused intervention. These blanket bans, I think it's something that is not helpful to South African economy, nor to just uh, respect for, for general human rights. And it's something that we would like to, to see government shifting away from.
0: Ian, you repeatedly posit sort of alf- alcohol and curfew and trauma admissions as sort of variables that you test. Some are fixed at some in some uh, calculations and others not fixed. And you consistently arrive at the conclusion that no matter which variable is fixed, that the curfew trumps alcohol. As an explanation for the drop in trauma cases every time, can you can you briefly can you really explain, explain in layman's terms what it is that you did? Yes, it's um, very
2: simply from a methodological point of view, we created an ARIMA model, an autoregressive model, and just using either univariates or multivariate tested for where do you see a change in trauma against which particular regulations. Now, I think it's an important point that you make. <clears throat> it's one thing to have a regulation. It's another thing to see compliance with the regulation. So in terms of the curfew restrictions, we also use Google mobility data to test if the same relationship held true for the, the absolute, in other words, so you've got a, and, a and and in-practice regulation was was the curfew actually um enforced and and did these regulations result in a drop in traffic in transit in recreation in grocery and retail etc etc so we tested against multiple different parts of the regulation but we wanted to see that we wanted to see that the results held true when when you looked at different sets of the data and Results do hold true, and essentially what, it, essentially, what it's saying is that if you look at alcohol ban on its own, right, there, there is an association with the drop in transmission. But you can, as you as you can well imagine, Peter, if you look at any restriction on its own, any of these major restrictions on its own, there would be an association. A change in another in another variable. And we don't live in a one-dimensional world. We don't live in a a world where there's only one thing at play. Every time these restrictions were imposed, as you know, there have been over a thousand regulations during the period of lockdown. And so to disentangle one, claim that it is causal, is problematic by itself. We are simply saying that when you run a multivariate, where you put in the effect of curfew or the effect of mobility, and you include the alcohol ban, the alcohol ban is rendered.
0: Just tell us a little bit about your wider conclusions. And um, Your report says um, trauma cases in SA under lockdown have dropped by 60%. Is that a generally accepted view?
2: I'll answer the question simply by saying that, that is the view that has been expressed by government based on five hospitals in McLean. Yeah, um, no, fair they're
0: enough.
2: They're constantly... Uh, Refer to these five hospitals in the Cape and so and they derive these stats from that yeah i i think i, th- I think it's a, it's very important to understand exactly what we're talking about here if you If you care to look at the graphs and you look at the you look at the y axis and look at the actual number of patients now let me just do a very quick little thought claim talking about five hospitals, two thousand three hundred beds between them. And what you see there in these claims for a sixty percent reduction is we're going down from eighty cases in a day down to sixty cases in a day. Spread that over five hospitals, you're talking about maybe one patient per hour, less. So when you look at the raw numbers and interpret the sixty percent drop, you suddenly start to see to see a very different picture of well, does this? actually make a big difference to Care or Tiger Big Hospital? Is this really as significant as it's being painted? That's one side of the equation. I think the more important side of the equation, Peter, if you just give me the, a minute to explain. Whenever we do any of this kind of modeling, we always look for a counterfactual. In other words, you're, you're looking for an effect, but you also look for an effect that didn't happen. And that's a very important part of the process. Now the, the effect that didn't happen in this case, the counterfactual is look around the world, all, in all countries that have reported on this, they've all re- registered a, 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 a remarkable drop in trauma admissions as soon as lockdown was implemented. You know, and I say to you, so, so here you have this enormous body of evidence that trauma admissions in Italy, in the UK, in the USA, in Germany, wherever you care to look, also dropped off by 60% between 50 and 60%. As soon as the stay-at-home or the curfew or the lockdowns were implemented in those countries. The difference here is that those countries didn't implement an alcohol ban. So, so you've got this very strange logic, never mind the stats, this very strange logic of well, you've got this effect happening all over the world, but in South Africa, we attribute it to the alcohol ban. And when you when we look at the rest of the world, where this exactly the same thing happened, there was no alcohol ban. So, how do you square that up?
0: Well, indeed, how do you square it up? It's you know um, the 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 the, rush, the the reckoning, I guess, from the from the lobby that insists that this in South Africa it's alcohol and in Britain. Um, It'll be something else that's just generally more mature society or good behavior or, you know, these are people who've never spent New Year's Eve in Glasgow. Um, uh, there are a whole lot of other, and it's so I really so appreciate this report, there are a whole lot of other sort of myths that you have looked at in in your report. And you use, and of course somebody will say this isn't accurate or isn't reliable or is not been peer-reviewed, um, The 2019-2020 South African Police Service Annual Report on Crime says alcohol is confirmed in only a minority of cases of violent crime, 5.4% of sexual offences, 5.3% of assault, 6.7% of murders, 6.9% of attempted murders, and 11.9% of assault, grievous bodily harm. 5.5% of fatal road accidents can be attributed to drunk driving. Although 293 of pedestrian fatalities are attributed to alcohol, and I presume that's because the pedestrian is drunk and not necessarily the driver. Um, 4% of crimes, including rape, common assault, previous bodily harm, attempted murders, occur in shabines, taverns, bars, nightclubs and pubs. What made you do all of that?
2: Well, it's, it's very simple. Um, our Minister of Police, who is one of the uh, security clusters' foremost, for banning alcohol, has uh, has developed a habit every year of producing the stats for the SAP annual report. And he always has one particular slide devoted entirely to alcohol, You know, describing the arrests, for, uh, the number of murders, the number of deviations, etc. Cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and only presenting the raw number. It's, it's quite an odd thing to do because you, you're presenting the number without any context. So all I did was I said, Well, you attribute this many murders to alcohol, but how many murders were there in total? And just divide the one by the other. So anybody can go and do this. And then you get a true sense of the you know the the alcohol problem that is being described. But can I make can I make another point here? And I think this is extremely important to understand, and that is that it is phrased in a very curious way. It is phrased, phrased as where alcohol is involved in this crime. Now, what does that mean? Are we testing the victim or are we testing the perpetrator? And what do we derive from this knowledge that alcohol is involved in this percentage of crime? It it's it actually asks more questions than it answers, in my opinion.
0: Yeah.
2: And when we talk, and it is the same thing, Peter, with drunken driving. You know, we we get told on a regular basis you can do this yourself. Don't look at the, the, the numbers released for Christmas and now the latest numbers released for Easter. They talk about how many vehicles were stopped in roadblocks. And they talk about how many people were arrested for drunken driving. And if you just divide the one by the other, zero point two percent of vehicles stopped. The driver was arrested for driving zero point two percent. Essentially, what you have here is when you, and I'm happy to talk about all of these stats. When you when you get past the rhetoric, or when you get past the you know the overexcited claims, and you and you look into them properly, and then you start to you really start to ask yourself questions. But are we fully cognizant of the role of alcohol in South African society, and are we fully cognizant of the role of other things? So a very good example for me is this road fatality thing. Now, if you go and, if you, if you go and look at various sets of data, the Road Traffic Management Corporation commissioned a study particularly to look at the effect of alcohol on fatal crashes over a four year period if you look at the data tables that are in the report over a four year period of the 13,000 fatalities recorded for driver behavior okay so there were 33,000 odd accidents in total but those are to driver behavior and then you look at the, the results the raw results are that only five and a half percent were alcohol related now <coughs> This is completely at odds with these statements about 50% of crashes are alcohol, 60% of crashes, depending on which minister.
0: It's all highly inconvenient, Ian. Um, You you deliciously also um, have a note um, in the report, and I wonder why you did this. You say the most reliable evidence of a problematic relationship with alcohol is disease. Uh, pancreatitis, liver cancer, alcohol, cardiomyopathy and alcohol use disorders. And you say that stats from the global burden of disease 2019 um, show that South Africa has continued to improve its ranking since the year 2000 in all of these diseases. So we're we are drinking either less or sort of somehow more healthily.
2: I, I, th- I think the point that I'm trying to make yeah, is that if you describe this this massive problem with the public's relationship with alcohol, then surely that problem has to express itself in these diseases that are known to be alcohol-driven. You know, it just seems logical to me that that there, that, that should be your evidence for this problem. Yet when you look at it, it doesn't hold. Once again, if you look at our... Alcohol per capita consumption in South africa we, we are ranked fifty sixth in the world for all of those diseases you've just mentioned we ranked ninety ninth and better in the world so how how does this problem not express in our disease burden again it, it's very difficult to explain that that paradox
0: sibani um, Mgadi, just come back to you. We we're a country of huge, um, uh, what's the word, uh, convictions. Uh, and once we've adopted a conviction, um, it tends to say there are people who are convinced, for instance, that an African government can't succeed in South Africa. There are people who are convinced that we overdrink. There are people who are convinced that somehow we're never good enough. That things aren't improving. Um, we're a we're a bunch of really sort of quite conservative pessimists. And how do you, in the industry, confront something as big as this? We've spoken about the, your opponents on the other side of this debate, um, but how do you how do you deal with the notion that we are a nation of drinkers, you know, or or, or drunks, or that even if we're not, even if we don't all drink, enough of us drink for it to be a problem. How do you explain it to people, particularly people who are already convinced that they are right and you are wrong?
1: Well, I think the first benefit of the research that we are discussing today, it begins to bring all of these things into context and in a much more objective way and disputing this report then requires that you, somebody else will need to argue differently and uh, present certain facts. Uh, But I think what happens in currently in South Africa, I think the role of economic policy and the direction we would like to take, it's quite a critical one to allow for parties with interest in the economic prospects of South Africa to begin to have a voice. For instance, I think labor was a significant player that has been absent for some time. In the conversation around alcohol policy they have only realized at the later stage that indeed this is impacting directly on the number of jobs that are there and it's diminishing i think there is greater also consideration of the role of alcoholic beverages in supporting uh, tourism which is one of the sectors with greatest potential for growth in, in in south africa once maybe the travel restrictions and other things have been reduced so if we begin to our view is that if we begin to mobilize as many of those people as possible, whether within government or, or outside government demands, political parties and everywhere else, there will be some balancing of this view that alcohol is 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 not a, a, a it, it's not contributing positively to the growth of South Africa. We started when the lockdown one happened, we were not allowed even to export South African wine, which is one commodity that we should pride ourselves with across the world. We have one of the top 10 uh, wine producing countries. We started with no, uh, that export not being allowed. So it's beginning to shift. We are hoping that I think as more economic voices and people who are clearer in terms of the strategic direction that South Africa needs to take, we will be able to have a much more balanced conversation with those who really are subjectively uh, deciding that for whatever reason, moral and otherwise, that alcohol is evil. Is,
0: is. Sibani and, and Ian, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. This, this is fantastic research. Um, I hope it generates the discussion that you wanted to generate. I uh, somehow doubt it. Uh, I suspect that what it will generate is a fight rather than a debate. Um, but so be it. Um, you know, people have decisions to answer for, um, and this uh, research in um, and your and your fellow researcher, uh, Professor Mike Murray, who is the an associate professor at the School of Mathematics, Statistics, and Computer Science at the University of KZN. So this has not been, you know, a lightweight affair by any means. Um, even though it's been paid for by a company, somebody's got to pay for these things to happen. Um, uh, it really, just you know it 's it's, it's much appreciated, very, very useful and uh, I wish both of you both in the industry sibani and uh, and Ian in, in in extrapolating more interesting ideas from your research in the future. Thank you so much for being my guest today well i don 't know about you, but I found that really interesting. Thank you so much to uh, Ian Megorian and Sibanim Gandhi uh, for joining us. The debate about alcohol during COVID has been really nasty, and it's uh, gotten the country absolutely nowhere. It costs an absolute fortune. People have lost livelihoods, companies have lost money, we've lost tax. Agorian, his collaborator in the report, estimates that each week of the alcohol ban, and we've now had 19 weeks of alcohol ban, have cost 2 billion loss in GDP. That's 38 billion rand, and that's excluding taxes. And it's just, uh, it's just ridiculous, you know. A government cannot simply make up stuff. We'll be back next week with something really interesting as well, I hope. Um, in the meantime, thank you for joining us. And, uh, and keep well and keep safe. See you soon.